sends his greeting. He's with family and on vacation, and um, talked with him yesterday, and he gives a big hi and hello. Um, so I have the great privilege of, of sharing the word this morning, and I'm really excited for uh, this weekend. Again, no youth tonight because of the rapture. Fourth of July is upon us, and um, we just want people to enjoy time with family, and, uh, and I hope you ha- enjoy time tomorrow. Uh, happy Fourth of July. God bless America. Um, people are asking, hey, what are we going to do? I think uh, my wife and I had plans to go to Waterworld because why else did our forefathers die, right? So that we can lay in the lazy river. <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> um, actually, I don't like going to, because I don't, I don't like showing off my, my, my six-pack here, okay? <laughs> well, I'm excited to preach this morning and continue this series, week three of the series, Rooted, Rooted. And uh, we're talking about roots, rooted, really going off, um, and, you know, for the summer, a study on different roots. Uh, I'd encourage you to get Banny Liebscher's book, um, Rooted. It's 12 chapters, and, and we're kind of mirroring a little bit each Sunday, some of those chapters, some of the themes, because it's just a phenomenal uh, study on what it means to have strong roots and to live a fruitful life. And so we're looking at different angles and different scriptures and in different ways and what it means to live fruitful and have strong roots. And so uh, Tasha did an amazing job last, last Sunday. I got to listen to her message. Uh, we were on a road trip. Uh, and so I got to listen to her message as we were driving. And, uh, and today I get to continue the, the series in, uh, on week three. So I want to just jump right in, give a few scriptures. We'll pray and then we'll just have a, a fun time, right? Church should be fun, amen? Amen. I'm so encouraged by our greeters and our hosts and whatnot. I got an email this week from someone saying, new to the church, saying how welcome they were. And I love it. Anytime someone gets an email, uh, someone emails the church, it goes to me. And, uh, and I don't get a lot of bad emails, thank God. And I get a lot of these types of emails. And so it's just props to uh, our greeters and hosts. Love you guys. You guys are awesome, phenomenal. I love you guys. Um, well, we're going to continue this series, Rooted beginning in this verse this morning, John chapter 15, verse 16. Uh, if you've got a worship guide, uh, should, the, these scriptures should be in those notes. If you didn't, don't worry about it. Everything will be on the screen as well. But I want to read from John chapter 15, which really Jesus is teaching on what it means to be fruitful and to have strong roots. John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Turn to someone and say, you're chosen. Turn to someone else and say, he chose you. Man, that's awesome. He chose, we didn't choose God, he chose us. And he says, why? So that we might go bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Uh, Mark chapter nine is a story where Jesus has a dialogue with his disciples on greatness. And I love this. This particular story is told in all three of the synoptic gospels. Mark's is my favorite. I love Luke. We'll talk a little bit about Matthew because Matthew goes, gives a little different take on this, uh, which I believe is in line with who he was writing to. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. He was writing to uh, a Jewish audience, highlighting what uh, Jesus as the son of God, the son of man. Uh, That's Matthew. But we're in Mark, Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 36. They came to Capernaum, and he, Jesus, was in a house, and he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? I love this because the disciples were having, had this argument, and this particular story 
is, 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 happens after two previous events. One event is the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus displays all of his glory to his disciples. And it's an awesome moment. I mean, Peter's like, this is awesome. I want to stay here forever. Jesus glows in the dark. This is amazing. And then, uh, and then the disciples are having this argument. And then the next scene is a demon-possessed boy getting healed. This is all in Mark chapter 9. After the demon-possessed boy get, is getting healed, Jesus circles around to this argument that the disciples were having. Well, what was the argument? He says it here. He asks him here. He says, what were you arguing about? They kept quiet because on the road, or because on the way, they had argued who was the greatest. And sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. And he, so he took a child whom he had placed among them in the midst of them. And taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Can you go, uh, Daniel, to, to, to um, Matthew chapter 18? I really I want to get this verse in here as well. This is Matthew's version. Again, Matthew's version is a little bit different. Uh, again, he was writing, highlighting Jesus as Matthew chapter 1, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And throughout his gospels, he highlights him as the son of man, the son of of God. So at the time, Jesus came to the disciples and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So he called a little child, again, this child, and placed this child among them and said, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as the little, as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so this morning, I titled the message, nothing to prove, subtitled, the root of greatness, the root of greatness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence that's here today, where two or three are gathered. You're in our midst, and we recognize you in our midst, Jesus. We receive you, God, as our, as our Lord, as our Savior, as the King of kings. God, we, we honor you today, Jesus. Father, we thank you uh, for who you are in our life, God. God. I pray that you would bless every person here, help me to communicate your word. I pray everyone would have a a blessed, safe, fun holiday tomorrow, and we, we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Put this back. December 11th, 1999 was a long time ago, one, uh, for me. It was nearing the close of the millennium, and it was my wife and I's wedding day. Because obviously, I needed to get married before the end of the world. Absolutely. Uh, remember that, the Y2K bug? We had a party. It's like, how are you going to end the, the, the world? Our youth group did, uh, we called it, the, remember that? Breathe the Millennium Party. And I remember, we're counting, three, two, and we expected, like, the world to end. And I was like, I have my wife. <laughs> if the world ends, I'm okay. <laughs> um, it's December 11th, 1999, and I wake up. In my apartment, soon to, soon to be our apartment, I'm 20 years old, just turned 20. I'm with two of my best friends, and I'm about to get married, and I'm pumped because I convinced someone to marry me before the end of the world. Yes. And so, uh, so well, obviously, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, so I wake up. I'm in my tux. I, 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 I Excuse me, I send my two friends away because I want to have devotions. My last, it was like, my last devotions as a single man. 
and I have my Bible, and I'm like, I want to pray my last prayer as a single man. And it was like, I don't know, I was like really emotional. Like, this, this like I'm excited, but I'm like, my singleness is, is coming to an end, and I need my prayer. So send my, my two boys away, and I find myself in, it, just having my devotions, put on my tuxedo, and I go to the church for a photo shoot, you know, you know, the wedding, you get the photos. And so get in my car. It was a car given to me by my grandmother. It was a 1986 beat down, burnt red, ugly looking Chevy Corsica. It was nasty. And I, I can't believe she said yes. <laughs> it, had, it had one of those pillows, you know, the grandma pillows because, you know, because she couldn't see over the wheel. You know, Filipino. And so uh, love my, my, love her. And so uh, she gave me this car. I'm in my car with my tuxedo. I'm on my way to get married. And then all of a sudden I realize I don't have any money for my honeymoon. Get married, you go on the honeymoon, right? And so I see a Bank of America off 122nd and Stark. Get out the car. This is, you know, Portland, Oregon. I get out the car. Go into the bank. And there is a line because, you know, it's a Saturday. People are wanting money. And it's Christmas time. People are Christmas shopping, right? And so here I am. I, in my tuxedo at this bank thinking, man, this is awkward. I'm in line waiting to get cash, gobs of cash, because I was rolling in the dough. Because that's why she said yes. Joking. And so I'm in line to get cash, and people are asking me, where are you going? And I'm like, just, just leave me alone. I'm getting married, you know? It's like, people, you know, this is my last time going to a bank as a single man. <laughs> leave me alone. Uh, and so, and I remember just being frustrated, like, just, just you know, feeling awkward, out of place, like, I don't, don't quite belong here. And, and, you know, when you go to the, the teller, they always have to, you know, have small talk, and so... Hey, what are you doing? Um, where are you going? I'm like, you know, I'm going to my wedding. You know, I'm in a tuxedo. Then it dawned on me. It was like, when I said, hey, I'm going to my wedding, it was like, click, I'm going to my wedding. <laughs> For the end of the world, I'm going to my wedding. I'm getting married. And, and it just this joy and excitement. I started looking around. I guess, That's right. I'm, I'm going to my wedding. I'm getting married today. This joy, excitement, because I was, this, 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 this revelation came to me at that moment of where I was going. And I want to take that and just really apply it to our lives because I think oftentimes we find ourselves in situations or moments where we're frustrated. We look at where we're at and we're like, I'm frustrated. This is, I feel out of place. I feel like I, I, quite, I don't quite belong here. You know why? Because I didn't plan to be here. Um, this is not where I want to be nor plan to be. And frustration sets in. And I believe that God wants to lift our eyes to where we're going, that he does have a future and a hope, that, he, that, that the path of the, of the just grows brighter as the noonday, that as we follow Jesus, that he follows us, he's, he gives us on, on this journey, I believe, to glory, that serving God, we go from glory to glory to glory, and I really believe that, but oftentimes we look at where we're at and we're like, ah, I don't, I, I'm frustrated, I don't see it. It's not what I plan to be. And this is an important discussion when we talk about roots because a lot of times we, when we look at our lives, we're in a season that, yeah, God wants fruitfulness from us, but he wants great roots in us. And he, and we, and he puts us in a season, a moment where he's developing a strong root system, a great root system, where you look at your life and it's frustrating. It seems a plot of dirt. I don't, there's not much going on. This is not where I plan to be. This is not where I want to be. This, but we got to focus on where we're going. And he's taking 
each and every one of us someplace, I believe, great, place of fruitfulness. He chose you. Why did he choose you? So you can be fruitful. And a lot of times we, we use the word fruit. What are we talking about? Fruit. Really, I, I believe sometimes we, we talk about greatness. Like, I want to be great. Like, I want to I look at my life, the rearview mirror of my life, and I want to see fruit. I want to do great things. I want to, more importantly, be great. And we shouldn't apologize for that. And I'll talk a little bit about this later. But, you know, I love um, some reality shows. Some are like, eh, you probably shouldn't watch that, you know. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it seems like every time you turn on a channel, there's a reality show. Every channel has their own reality show, even the History Channel. <laughs> My kids are into this reality show called Alone uh, on the History Channel, which takes about 10 people to the Vancouver Islands, and they spread them a miles apart from each other with a camera and about just like, I think, a list of like 10 supplies that they can take with them. And they have to survive the longest. And that's, that's literally it. It's a show. They're filming themselves. Like doing, it's, like, it's like an hour of selfies. It's, it's awesome. It's like so our generation. And, uh, and so, so I'm watching that show. I'm thinking, man, I can do that. Like, sign me up. My kids are like, yeah, right, Dad. I mean, you, I mean, you can't even use the microwave, let alone make your own fire. And, uh, you know, I, anytime you turn on the channel, it seems like we're in search of, you know, the next great survivalist, uh, you know, the next voice, the next talent, the next great baker, the next great boxer, the next great stuntman, the next great entrepreneur, the next great stuntman, I already said that, singer, I mean, you name it, dancer. I mean, every, we, we are at an overload in search for greatness. And we live in a culture that knows this and a society that knows this so much so that I believe it's packaged and marketed to us on a daily basis. And we, as Americans, consume it because we are intoxicated and enamored by greatness. We, we love it. I believe if you were to sit down with previous generations and ask them what greatness is today... They, they would have a different conversation about greatness. Again, I love the History Channel. I, I particularly, particularly love watching shows about previous generations, particularly those that lived during the World War II era and the Great Depression, because if you were to sit down with them and ask them what greatness is, they had a different ideology when it came to greatness. To them, greatness wasn't viewed through the lens of Hollywood or social media or through being popular or through possessions or status or prestige. To them, greatness was, 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 was found in the unseen. Greatness was elevated in the unseen rather than the things that are seen. They were content to just be content. They were content to, 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 to work hard, to have character, to have integrity, to be faithful, to raise a family, to pay the bills, to have a job. That was greatness. But to, in today's society, we have it backwards. And we tend to look at greatness through a different lens, through a different view. We tend to celebrate the things that are seen rather than the things that are unseen. And so if the things aren't seen, then obviously they're not great, right? Because they don't have the possessions, they don't have the status, they don't have the prestige, they don't have the followers, they don't have the greatness, they must not be great. I beg to differ. And my prayer is this, is that we would learn to celebrate the things that are unseen rather than the things that are seen. 
This is Bible. 2 Corinthians, I believe, chapter 2, verse 18. We need to fix our eyes on the things that are unseen rather than things that are seen because the things that are seen, they're, they're temporal. We need to value the things that are unseen. Those seasons that we, when we're unseen. My prayer is this, and it's, is this, and my prayer is, 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 is that this would be our prayer, and it's that God help us live fruitful lives. I really believe that. I, I think this series is timely because I think as we even enter into the fall, we, we're going to see fruit as a church. We're going to see fruit. But make no mistake, we need roots. We need deep roots. We need deep roots. I think as a church, yes, individually, God's called you to, to be fruitful, to have fruitful lives. To, but more importantly, as we do, that we would value roots more than fruit, that we would celebrate what I call great roots rather than just great fruit. Because oftentimes we, we, see, we think because fruit is absence, greatness is not there. A lot of times Jesus is just pruning us. He's just allowing us, taking us a step back, allowing our roots to go a little bit deeper so that we can be more fruitful. A lot of times it's just, you know, if, if, if fruit's not evident, doesn't mean that greatness isn't evident because it, there's roots there. There's roots there. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus begins to teach his disciple on greatness. They have this particular conversation, a conversation that was um, due to an argument that the disciples were having, having on who was greatest. This argument took place sandwiched between two events. It was the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus took off his divinity and showed his disciples, excuse me, took off his humanity and showed his disciples his divinity, his glory. And so here you have Peter, James, and John with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they're having this amazing moment. Peter's like, ah, oh, I want to stay here. Jesus is like, no, we got to go. And so they go down to the valley. As they descend down the mountain, they encounter the disciples having a conversation, an argument. Next scene, the the, the, Jesus is seen healing a demon-possessed boy. And so here in the scripture, in Matthew chapter, excuse me, Mark chapter 9, Jesus asked him about this argument that they were having, on, and it was on greatness. And so when he was in the house, he said to them, what were you arguing about on the road? I just told you where that road was. What, what, it was on the road between the Mount of Transfiguration and the demon-possessed boy. But they kept quiet because what they had argued about was who was the greatest. And Jesus, sitting down, called the 12, and he said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and a servant of all. And he took a child whom he had placed among them and taking the child by his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes these little children in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes, whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but welcomes the one who sent me. Matthew, again, chapter 18. Love this, love, love his account. Because he, when Jesus is addressing this conversation of who is greatest, he again calls a child to himself. And he places the child among them. And he says, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like this little child. The other gospel is talking about welcoming the little child. But Matthew goes a little bit further and he says, and he, and he highlights what Jesus said, which was also to be like this child. So if you can't be like little children, you will never enter the, the kingdom of heaven. And, 
Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Jesus is teaching his disciples on greatness, and he he goes and he grabs a little child, and this little child becomes this, this object lesson to teach his disciples on greatness as this child is standing in the midst of the other disciples. Why? And it's awesome, but why is it awesome? I remember reading that like, Jesus, I don't understand. And so I, 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 I start digging and digging and digging and praying. I just don't understand. Is God saying to us that we need to be like children again? No, it's like he's not saying to be childish. But there's certain qualities of a child that Jesus is after. Qualities like that childlike faith, that the faith of a child that the child has in their father, that everything is going to be taken care of, that everything is, is going um, to be okay, that they're going to be provided for. The sense of innocence and security, this, this, the sense of being easily awed. And we took our kids, we're at the Grand Canyon, and I was awed. My kids were like, yes! You know, just a few, a few days ago, we were at the um, hiking uh, by Breckenridge, and we were by a stream, just a stream. And our kids are like, a stream, yes! <laughs> a bridge over the stream, awesome! A rock, yeah! As, it, my kids are like that. They're like, rocks! <laughs> Easily awed. They're content with the little things. The little things. My two boys, they, they, you know, we've, we did a, a good job as we're trying to be good stewards with our finances to convince our kids that Dollar Tree was like Disneyland. <laughs> For all you parents that are up and coming, take, take, take some advice here. It's like, we're going to the Dollar Tree, kids. Yay! Our kids are, mom, mom and dad are high-fiving. <laughs> yes, we did it. <laughs> So, you know, I mean, it's like the Dollar Tree. We're going to the Dollar Tree. I mean, they're, they're, they're so enamored and excited by little things. Like Super Target. The kids are excited about Super Target. It's like the highlight of their week. <laughs> and we're, we're driving. You know, we're on, we just got back. We're on vacation. We're on a road trip. And my youngest son, Elijah, asks us, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'm like, well, we're kind of already there. <laughs> and really, he just wants to tell us what he wants to be. He has it already in his mind what he's going to say. He's like, when I grow up, I want to be a pastor. And I'm like, yes. An NBA player, yes. And a target worker. Dear Jesus, please, an NBA player. <laughs> a pastor, okay, but NBA player. Take care of mom and dad. But you know, I mean, if... <laughs> If, he was, if Elijah grew up and was any one of those things, that wouldn't change my level of love, my level of view, my level of significance to them in my life. They're my son, my child. And so here you have Jesus taking this child in the midst of them to teach his disciples and what it means to be greatness. And I really believe that Jesus embodied this. This is what it means to live this childlike life, to live like a child. We're talking about lessons of greatness. Number one, if you want to, 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 to be truly great, you have to learn to live like a child. Jesus embodied this. He, was, he humbled himself like a child. He was the most hum, humble man to, you know, to, to, to live. He, he had humility. He had 
the sense of childlikeness. I really believe that as God, Jesus practiced what he preached. And so when he's telling the disciples, be like this little child, and he's standing next to the child, he's like, that, like, 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 like me. Because something about being a child and being innocent and, 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 and having that childlike, simple faith, you have nothing to prove. There's nothing my child can do to prove to me how great they are. They're just great. They're my child. No one can say otherwise. Jesus never tried to prove how great he was. He's just a child. He came, the son of God, the son of man. And when people asked him, you know, why are you here? What do you, I'm here because the father sent me. For God so loved the world that he sent his son for us. He sent his son. People actually tried to get him to prove how great he was. Show us a sign, they said. You want a sign? Okay, here you go. It's, it's right here. It's me. It's son. I, I, I don't need to prove myself to you. When Jesus started his earthly ministry, it, it, it did start to a roaring sound of applause. He was baptized, and then all of a sudden he got out of the water, and then a voice from heaven came saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. See, he didn't live for the applause or the affirmation of those around him. He just had this great relationship with the Father. And that was enough for him. So much so when he was dying, about to die on the cross, it's Matthew chapter 26, and it's the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's there about to get crucified. It's, it's, it's that moment that would change all moments. And he's there, and he's, he's, he's praying to God to God the Father, and he's saying, Father, I pray that this cup would pass me by. He's, in essence, he's saying, I'm, I don't want to do this, God. I'm frustrated. Like, here I am. I'm, I'm about to die, and I don't want to be right here where I'm at. But you're my dad because he asked me to. I'm going to do it. He just had this relationship and if we're going to be great, we need to have that great relationship that a child has with their father. Because if we were to look at Jesus' life and gauge it by today's standards, and to see his life and, and measure greatness by today's culture, we would look at Jesus and think, man, maybe, oh, not, not so great. He died a criminal's death. Was he a criminal? No, he was, you know, he, he was a teacher. Ah, oh, but he had 12 students, only 12 students. One of them denied him, followed, betrayed him. Pretty much all of them left him. So I'm a great teacher. Um, what about, you know, I mean, he, he was, there's a lot of writings about him, but did Jesus ever write a book? Did he ever write anything? Nah, I mean, died a criminal's death. Was a teacher, but I had 12 people. They all betrayed him, never wrote a book, never, never had a business, never had any possessions that we know of, never traveled more than 200 miles, was never, his greatest sermon was preached to one person, Nicodemus. Was he great? Oh, well, all of humanity. I mean, he's the greatest figure to walk planet Earth. Millions of, today, of people today worship him as Lord. Why? Because at that moment, he's like, Dad, you're my dad. And I'm gonna trust you. 
and you know best. And I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do it. And he gave him his life for us. And that simple act of obedience to the Father, he, we find out what true greatness is. True greatness is not found in the fruit. It's found in the root. And I really believe it's the root of the relationship that you have with the Father. Relationship with Jesus. A lot of, you know, this, this concept was revolutionary to uh, that particular culture, the Jewish culture of that day. Because really the concept of God as Father was seen in the Old Testament really only 15 times. 15 times in the Old Testament, about 15 times, can you really see Jesus referred to as, excuse me, God referred to as Father. But then Jesus comes on the scene and he messes everyone's concept of who God is because over 115 times, again, you have 15 in the, in, in the Gospels alone, 115, over 115 times you see Jesus God referred to as Father, it was, it was the reference that Jesus loved to use most in when, when communicating or talking about God as God the Father. When you pray, you pray to God the Father. As he's on the cross, he's crying, Father. I'm telling you, if you catch this revelation of God as not just your Father, but, but as, your, as the Bible calls it, the, the, the Abba Father. Because that's the original word used throughout the Gospels or throughout the Old Testament, excuse me, New Testament. It's a word that was used by, by a child to not just describe fathers, like father, father, father in heaven. No, it's, it's like dad, daddy. It's, it's what a, a kid would say to a father, almost kind of awkward. Some scholars even <laughs> say it's, it's not just daddy, it's like dada. Like, like a little kid, can't even say the whole phrase. It's, it's dad, father, daddy. We need that relationship where we approach God. Not so, I believe sometimes we approach God as like he's some cosmic coach rather than a father, some drill sergeant, some boss that we're trying to work to gain his approval so that we can get promoted onto greatness. Or some cosmic coach where we're trying to, to earn his favor. You know, our, our kids have basketball camp all next week. And I remember going to basketball camp and we have a coach. And I was just foolish as a kid. We had a coach, Coach Ken. And I called him every name but Ken. Like Kenny, Kendall, Kenneth, Kent. And every time I didn't call him Ken, every time I said Kenny, Kendall, Kenneth, Kent, I had to like do wall sits or drop and give him 20. That's <laughs> just, I wonder where my kids get it. <laughs> And so sometimes we, we like, we, we approach God, he's this coach, he's this cosmic coach to, to spur us on and to motivate us to greatness because we have this great future and we have this great hope and we have this great book full of great motivational sayings. He's going to give us a great future and a great hope and he, we get motivated and we go to church and we get motivated because we have this coach and we're on and on and all of a sudden we mess up, drop down, give me 20. <sighs> okay, I see my coach, I got a future, <sighs> I got a hope. Okay, we get back up. Okay, we go on with our life. We're following God. We're going on to greatness. We have a great future, a great hope. We wake up every morning. We grab our Bibles. We do our dumbbells. You know, future, hope, future, hope. Yes, I got it. He's for me, not against me. I have a future. I have hope. If our friends come over, like, what are you doing? He's like, getting ready for church. You want to come? Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> no. He's, he's not some cosmic coach trying to motivate us 
to a great future, which I believe we have a great future, but he just wants a father. You know, like if, if, if my kids messed up and I said, drop down, give me 20. Like, that'd be weird. <laughs> like, that'd be like awkward. And I'd be almost like a bad, even though sometimes I feel like doing that. Not to say I don't discipline my kids, but it's because they're my son, my sons, and I love them. And I want what's best for them. But it doesn't view how great I, I, I see them. And so Jesus was, was content with just that relationship with the Father. That root of being a child, having a father. And so his disciples are arguing, which one of us is the greatest? Who? Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? And then Jesus brings a child. He says, you want to be great? Be like a child. Be a child. Again, this story happens in response. This dialogue that Jesus has with his disciples regarding greatness is in response to an argument that took place sandwiched between two events. Again, it was the Mount of Transfiguration where you have Jesus, Peter, James, and John descending down the mountain. You have the disciples arguing who's, who's going to be great. And then you have, you have this demon-possessed boy, this demon-possessed boy. And I, I find it interesting because it's, it's kind of almost comical. I mean, if you take back and take a step back and you look at the scene, which leads me, and I'll, I'll go to my next point, number two, this, uh, this, learn that success is what you do for yourselves, but significance is what you do for others. If you want to be great, number one, learn to live like a child, but also, this is a great lesson, learn what success is, what you do for yourself. Great success is, is what you do for yourself. If you want great success, live for yourself, but if you want great significance, live for others. And I love Jesus' dialogue with his disciples regarding greatness because it's not necessarily what he was teaching or what he was talking about. Because to be honest, I really believe that they had more conversations about greatness than this one argument. They had, I guarantee it. When we get in heaven, we'll find out they are constantly arguing about who's going to be great. So it's not what they were arguing about. It was when they were arguing, arguing it. Because you have this great moment where Jesus descends down the mountain with his disciples, and then you have, the, then you have this demon-possessed boy, and a father's crying out, worried, like, my, my son is, I, I don't know what to do. And then in between that, you have the disciples arguing who's going to be greatest. My goodness, take a step back and look at the scene. I mean, you got, Peter, you got the disciples looking at Peter, James, and John coming down the mountain thinking, oh my goodness, like, who's greatest? Man, look at James. Oh, John, I think John's the greatest because John's, he's, he's the beloved. Or maybe Peter, you know, Peter walked on water. You're wrong, Bart. Peter's the greatest. He walked on water. I mean, have you been on his website, walkingonwaterministries.com? He's, he's the bomb. So they're having this argument on greatness, and then Jesus is walking down the mountain with his other disciples, looking at them, thinking, oh my goodness, I'll deal with them later. Sidesteps them, goes to the father with the demon-possessed boy, heals them, and then later on, he says, wait, what were you arguing about? Because by the way, when you were arguing, there was a boy that was suffering. There was a father who was desperate. As you were worrying about the glory on the mountain, there was some demons in the valley that needed to be cast out. And so, if we want to be great, we can't be 
preoccupied with the next latest and next greatest, trying to be the next latest and next greatest, but be preoccupied with people, pouring into people's lives, loving people like Jesus loved us. So important, so key. Jesus embodied this life of greatness. Live like a child, learn success, success what you do for yourself. Significance is what you do for others. And then number three, learn that true greatness stands the test of time. True greatness stands the test of time. I can talk a whole hour just on this one point. Obviously, I won't. But Jesus is after fruit that will last. He's after a lasting legacy. He's after just like the father was crying out for his demon-possessed boy because that boy was so significant to the father. That boy was gonna carry on that father's name, that father's legacy. Some scholars believe he was the only child of this father. That's why he was so desperate. And he goes to his disciples and the disciples couldn't do anything. Read the story, Mark chapter nine, Luke chapter nine. That father so desperate went, went, went to Jesus. I went to your disciples, but they couldn't do anything. Can you help? He said, I believe, but help my unbelief. God wants us to believe that locked in us as his child, we're meant to carry on his name, carry on his legacy, carry on that future and hope, not for ourselves, but for others, for others. Because don't worry, greatness in your life will take care of itself. You just got to worry about the roots, worry about that relationship, worry about who God is in your life. Come on, greatness will prove itself out. I don't worry about that. Jesus never did. And just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Can I hear an amen? Come on, I want you to pray with me. Father, we're so thankful for your presence in this place. Father, we recognize that you're calling us to bear fruit, fruit that lasts. Jesus, you chose us. We didn't, we didn't ask to be chosen, God, so we don't have nothing to prove. But you chose us nonetheless so that we can go out and bear fruit. But I pray as a church, we would value the roots, Jesus. God, the things that are unseen, not seen. Father, we would value that relationship that a child has with the Father, Jesus. I pray that those here that even don't know you, Jesus, they don't have that relationship or that relationship is in question. I pray that you would solidify it today in Jesus' name.